0: Hello and thanks for joining Wicker Park Lutheran Church sermons. Wicker Park Lutheran Church is a diverse ELCA Lutheran congregation in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. We gather at 10 a.m. to fully live into our incarnational faith as we experience God's presence in the gathered assembly, and we welcome you to join us. In just a moment, you'll first hear with a gospel reading from the associated sermon for the service that you're about to listen to, we hope that that gospel gives you some context before you jump right into the sermon. Thanks for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon. This is the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. after three days rise again he said all of this quite openly and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and looking at his disciples jesus rebuked peter and said get behind me satan for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things jesus called the crowd of his disciples and said to them if any want to become my followers let them deny themselves Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Lord The passage we just read is from Mark chapter 8. And this is the last time that we're going to hear from Mark until Holy Week. So I think we should take stock of where we are and where we've been in this gospel so that we can locate ourselves in the story today. So far since the beginning of the gospel according to Mark, Jesus has been baptized by John in the Jordan River, spent 40 days in the wilderness of Judea, called four fishermen to be his first disciples. Those were Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John. Jesus also called the first ever deacon of the church, the mother who ran the house church in Capernaum. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons, and he called eight more disciples, Matthew the tax collector and his brother James, Philip and his best friend Bartholomew, Thomas the question asker, Simon the Zealot, Judas Thaddeus, and Judas Iscariot. Jesus calmed a storm, walked on water, fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000, and had multiple light spars with the Pharisees concerning such things as whether or not you should heal on the Sabbath or how religious tradition is not necessarily the same as the will of God. So far, everything is going swimmingly. And then one sentence before our passage today, Jesus asked the 12 disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who was there since the beginning, says to Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the Holy One of God. You are the one we have been waiting for. Indeed, they had been waiting many, many years for a king. They had been waiting generations for the Son of Man to come in power. And in power, Jesus came. His itinerary through Galilee and Judea has been miracle after miracle. There were hundreds, maybe even thousands of healings. Classic, beautiful healings. Stories of God's glory and power, stories like the paralyzed man who was lowered down through a roof to be healed, like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and just had to touch Jesus' cloak. Stories like that little girl, the daughter of Jairus, who was raised from the dead. And Simon Peter has witnessed all of those things, being there firsthand, helping out, being known to everyone as part of this thing this justice work, this reign of God on earth. It was awesome. The Son of Man came in power. A little weird that he was from Nazareth, that nothing place of a town, but basically everything was going according to plan, going according to all of the dreams that the people of God had, that Simon Peter had for their Messiah. And here Jesus was, traveling all across the Holy Land, doing God's amazing miracles, generating crowds so huge that they had to walk on water to get away from them. Everything was going great. And that brings us to right now, this moment, where Jesus and the disciples are walking on the road to Caesarea Philippi and Phoenicia, which we call Lebanon. There's a crowd following them, but at a polite, respectable distance, far enough apart that they could still speak privately. Immediately after this beautiful conversation, immediately after Simon Peter says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. Jesus began to tell them something disturbing. He told them that he, the son of man, would suffer. Not just could was going to Jesus said that he would be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the scribes that he would be killed and three days later rise again if you close your eyes to imagine it you can watch as the smile slips off Simon Peter's face If these words were true and Jesus had never given him any reason to doubt him then this was a nightmare no Jesus is the Messiah Jesus is supposed to be king and we know what kings do they rule armies they have victories they come in a thunder of war horses and the clashing of blades and their victories are marked in blood god was supposed to come like that god was supposed to come in a hail of fire and bullets and poison something anything to destroy every roman and bring back israel so hearing these things simon peter must have felt sick maybe he was scared maybe he was angry Maybe that's why he pulled Jesus to the side of the road to rebuke him. And to be clear here, the premise of Jesus's resurrection wasn't something that he needed to buy into. I mean, Simon at this point has seen resurrections firsthand. He's seen storms disappear with a snap of God's fingers. He's seen thousands fed with a few loaves and a few fish. He knows what God is capable of. God is capable of power and majesty and glory. But dying on a cross, no less the fate of a common thief, that is not how this was supposed to go. That is not what we planned. That is not what we were praying for. Jesus turned to face Simon Peter and all of the disciples with him, and he said, we're going back on the road now. Get behind me. The English translation of this verse uses the word Satan. It makes it seem like Jesus is calling Simon the devil, but he's really just using the old-fashioned term for holy adversary, someone who stands in the way of God doing God's work. And then Jesus turns to the crowd, not just the disciples, but everyone who is following, and he says something else, something that initially might not seem like it fits the situation. He says that there will be some people in the world who are ashamed of him, ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Of course, those people would not be ashamed of the glory not ashamed of the miracles, the healings, the calming of the seas, ashamed of the dying, the scandalous shame of the cross, that God could die, that God would die. And in First Corinthians, Paul wrote something about this moment. He said that the story of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and complete lunacy to the Gentiles. Because everyone was waiting for a king. A king who would come in and be victorious. And through that victory, he would subjugate people and hurt people and spread around riches and glory and splendor. Amen. But that is not our God. And Jesus is not that kind of king. One of my seminary professors wrote that the death of Jesus took place in a space where God was thought to be absent. And not just absent, death was a place in which God's revelation would not occur, a place that could not witness to divine glory. And yet it did. This is the real miracle. Not that God would be resurrected on the third day, for of course, God would be resurrected. God can do everything. But that God would go to the place beyond our script, beyond our hopes, beyond our imagination, beyond our wildest dreams, so that we would see the truth. And the truth is that the work of God does not often feel like glory. And life in this world is almost never easy, even for the people of God. The truth is that the work of God is often messy and loud and unexpected and that our fellowship table is filled with sinners and boat rockers and table flippers. And God likes it that way. The confusing paradoxical truth is this. If we want true life, A fulfilling life abundant life the only way to find it is by setting aside our expectations about all that God could be all that God should be and joining in the miraculous work that God is doing in our midst we know that Simon Peters expectations of God were so far from the truth of God because we saw what happened next in his story but we don't know what happens next in our story. So I wonder, what expectations do we hold of God as a church and personally? I wonder, is it possible that our God is greater than those? And if so, I wonder, Are we willing to deny our expectations and instead take up the cross and follow Christ?